this is uh, Romans 12, 1 through 16. So the Bible says this. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give, you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior of the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you a leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have this tradition in our family. It actually goes back a couple of generations on Linda's side of the family. And that is that on their birth, on our kids' birthdays, you get your favorite meal. Anybody else ever have, you have that tradition? You get a birthday meal? Well, we do that. And our four kids are all born between... August 29th and October 16th. So, I mean, we had some really good eating in between those, those six weeks. Uh, and Linda's always been an amazing cook, and they get to pick, so they would pick. And uh, all four of them, interestingly, would want Linda's um, uh, fried chicken strips with 
potatoes and white gravy and biscuits, kind of biscuits, and her white gravy is to die for. All four of them wanted that on their meal, and they wanted different desserts. One wanted cherry pie, one wanted apple pie, chocolate eclair, another amazing thing. And so it was always fun to sit down at birthday meals. Now, Linda herself, fried shrimp. Her mom would fix her fried shrimp and big platter full. And we still, to this day, I, I go out and buy fried shrimp for her to have on her birthday. Uh, but we love to have that. It's just a way of saying that that person is special. And you know, um, when you are before your favorite meal, you know, you're pretty excited about that. Let's just be honest. It's pretty cool to get your special meal. You know that uh, there's actually something going on in your brain. Your brain, there's a part of your brain. It's called the anterior front, prefrontal uh, cortex, okay? And it lights up when you are sitting in front of your favorite meal, eating your favorite food, that part of the brain actually lights up. Well, there was some brain research being done at the National Institutes of Health. Two researchers wanted to explore what goes on in the human brain when a person is serving another person, when they're giving to another person, whether that's giving generously to them, serving them, doing something for them in some capacity. They, they, uh, they had 19 volunteers working and they would submit to MRIs at various times and they would, they would pepper them with questions to see how their brain was reacting. And one day, it was about 2006 or seven, they made this amazing discovery. One of the researchers called the other, you gotta look at this, you gotta look at this. And he said, look at, look at what's happening in this person's brain. And we've seen this with several, that when we start talking about serving, not getting stuff, They'd ask him questions like, well, what would it feel like to win the lottery and all this? But when they're serving, guess what happened? The same part of the brain that lights up when you're in front of your best meal, your favorite meal, lights up when you're serving. Yeah, the anterior prefrontal cortex. Say that three times fast, right? Then it just lights up. Um, it's almost as if God wired you to serve others. Maybe that's exactly what's going on. Not only do other people benefit, of course, but something happens inside of your brain. Something happens inside of your heart. Something happens inside of you when you give of yourself to another person. There's just a feeling, a something that goes along with that. Now, we don't do it for that reason. We don't do it, oh, I want my brain to light up this way. We do it because it's the beautiful way to live. Jesus said, the greatest among you are those who serve. The servants among you are the greatest people among you. And uh, I love it when Jesus' teachings get confirmed by modern science. It's almost like Jesus came up with a science, huh? <laughs> yeah, God did. And so today we're beginning a, uh, a series gonna take us through September called For the Sake of Others. I wanna see how there's this better way. Now we hear a lot about and see enough selfishness in our world, but there's something beautiful that happens when we live our lives for the sake of others. And something good that happens inside of your own brain when you do that. So it's not drudgery. In fact, it is something that will bring you a joy that you can't find any, any other way. Uh, over the course of this month, we're going to look at some places in the New Testament where spiritual gifts are listed. A spiritual gift is a special ability God gives people to serve to live for the sake of others. 
And so um, there's several places in the New Testament where those are listed. The scripture reading you heard today, Romans 12, is one of those places. Uh, it is not by any means a comprehensive list. That's why you need to look at all four places. And even then, those four lists aren't comprehensive. Uh, but these spiritual gifts that God gives us to serve other people. And uh, today, we're going to look at Romans 12. And here we want to see that, that, a, that a beautiful life, a life of worship, and service is a beautiful life. Um, so let's, let's go to Romans chapter 12. And uh, Paul begins here uh, with uh, these words. He says, uh, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Let's pause right there. Paul wears his emotions on his, on his shirt sleeves, okay? Paul has passion. He has a zeal for the ways of God. But every once in a while, he... he ramps it up a notch or two. And this is one of them, when he says, I plead with you. Now, that means that what he's about to say is really important. Jesus would usually say, truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, what I'm about to say is really important. So when Paul says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, what he's about to say is really important. And then he even gives us a rationale for it. What he instructs us to do here, what he's calling us to do, he said, is because of God's mercies. One translation has it, in light of God's mercies. Now, this is chapter 12. A whole lot has gone on in Romans prior to this. And what Paul has been laying out is this massive presentation of the gospel. And, and he's been talking about the goodness of God and the mercies of God. We could look at a, many different passages. Just, this is, I think, representative and maybe uh, the high point of these aspects of God's mercy. In Romans 5, verse 6, it says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for you and for me when we weren't giving any thought to God. We were turning around and going the other way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he says that in Romans. He says a lot of other things, that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and many, many other things. He says in light of all of that, in light of all that God has done, in light of what Jesus has done, here's what I want you to do. And he says, I want you to worship. And, he, and he, he spells out what he means by that. Let's go back to the passage. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So he says, I want you to worship. And the first aspect of this worship, he spells out for us here. Now, we'll pause for a second. Um, when you think of the word worship, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Go ahead and say it. What? Singing. Yeah, yeah, several of you said singing. And, and indeed, singing is a way to worship God. The Psalms are our songbook, the ancient 
uh, songbook of God's people, and, and it's a prayer book as well, and it's, it's, it instructs us to pray. Sing a new song unto the Lord. Uh, sing and make melody in your heart, Paul says, elsewhere. So singing is one of those things. But friends, it's only one very small part of worship. Now, it doesn't help in the modern church that we call our song leaders worship leaders, right? It, it can confuse the situation a bit because it sounds like, oh, that's all we do in worship. The only aspect of worship is singing. Friends, everything we do in this service is worship. When the word of God is read and you're listening, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's worship. When we, um, when we pray, that's worship. Right now, as you're listening to a sermon, you're listening and trying to, huh, what's, what are Ron's words and what's God's word for me today? That's worship. Um, giving the offering, central part of worship. I'm giving something of myself to God. All of those are worship. But here, Paul broadens it even bigger than that. And he says, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, everybody in the first century understood the concept of sacrifice. We don't. Uh, thankfully, that element of sacrifice is 2,000 years. We're 2,000 years removed from that. They would have known a sacrifice was, I bring an animal with me to the temple, and it is killed on the altar to cover my sins temporarily. Even pagans did that, all right? So it was known in the pagan world, the, 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 the Jewish believers who were listening to this, and they, a sacrifice, they understood what that meant. He says here, no, no, I, don't, I, don't, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, giving your whole self to God. Now, again, some of our language hurts us here. Just like we restrict worship to just singing, it's just one small part of worship. Uh, we do the same when it comes to giving of ourselves to God. Um, we talk about giving your heart to Jesus. Uh, you know, that's not New Testament language. Now, it's accurate. It's okay to say it. I say it now and then, all right? And it's okay to talk about it that way. But I also want to point out it's a very Greek way of thinking. Greeks would think more in terms of the spirit, terms of the heart, um, the Hebrew way of thinking, which Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, as he described himself, he would think more physically, more materially, the body. The worship is giving my body to God. And it's something we are, I think, being reminded of, and I think the church is recovering this aspect, that it's our whole self. In fact, friends, when we die, our spirit goes to live in heaven, but you know, that's only the interim plan. It's only the interim plan. God intends to resurrect your body. Yes, your body, just like Jesus' body was resurrected. There's nothing left in the tomb. He, his body was resurrected. So it is with us. Uh, God has this other destination. Like we're, uh, when, when we're, had, the kids were home, we'd take vacation. We often went to Florida. We'd go to Cocoa Beach. It was a thousand-mile drive. So, so we, we'd stop off in Atlanta and go to a hotel there. And it was fun. We'd always find a hotel with a swimming pool. We didn't have a swimming pool at home. They thought that was amazing. Kids loved that. But, but the best was yet to come. We're getting to the beach, right? Same thing. Heaven, yes, but the best is yet to come. God's going to resurrect our bodies and create a whole new heaven and a whole new earth. So he said, I want you to worship God with your bodies, which is another, another way of saying, give your whole self to God. 
That's why I, I, I love the, the old Wesley Covenant renewal prayer. We have prayed that often here at LaCroix. It is a special prayer for me. It's one, I probably have prayed this prayer more than any prayer except the Lord's Prayer. You know it, I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt. Yeah, I like the old English version. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee. For thee, Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I am thine and thou art mine. Amen. So be it. So I say, I'm giving my whole self to you, God. Present your bodies. Now, the, um, interestingly, the old ritual around marriage in the Book of Common Prayer the Book of Common Prayer is one of the oldest prayer books. Uh, it's a book of prayer for the Church of England. And the Methodists, we came out of the Church of England, all right? And the Book of Common Prayer, our, our wedding and funeral liturgies and communion all kind of had their roots in that. But some of the old language around vows has changed, um, you know, as, as English language has changed. Uh, here was one of the vows that was done in weddings centuries ago. With this ring I thee wed, with, with my body, I thee worship, and with my earthly goods, I thee endow. Let's take that, that center one. With my body, I thee worship. What's that saying? I thought we're only supposed to worship God. Well, worship and service are the same words in Greek. Very same words. In fact, we often will call what we're in right now, what? A worship service, which is like saying a service service or a worship worship, Okay. It's really the same word. With my body, I thee worship in the wedding vow, what I'm saying is I'm going to give myself, not just my heart, I'm going to give my whole self to you. That's what's being said. It's beautiful when we see that done. There's this story um, out of Linda's family that her mom told uh, several times, especially after uh, her dad passed away, our parents had a wonderful marriage. I think over 55 years they were married. And um, he went and served and volunteered to serve in the Marines in World War II, left behind three children, babies. And um, when he came back from the war, not long after that, Linda's mom, a very young mother, got tuberculosis. Well, TB was a very serious thing to get back in the 40s. Her father, in his 40s, died of TB. Very, very serious thing. So her mother was, they had back then, there were so many people getting it and they were isolating people. They had these TB hospitals, hospitals just set up for tuberculosis patients. So her mom goes to this hospital and um, she's in isolation. The only people that come into her room, the nurses or the nuns, is a Catholic facility. I mean, her dad couldn't go. Now, he could have said, my heart's with you, wrote her a note and said, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for you, praying for you. My heart is there. But you know what her dad did? He worked hard. Now, his mother-in-law, Linda's grandmother, came and moved in with him so she could take care of the kids and the sister. And he'd go to work every day. And at the end of work, get home, get on the trolley, because I had in St. Louis back then, and he'd take the trolley until its very last stop. And then he'd get out, and from there, it was a two-mile walk to the TB hospital. And he'd go, and he'd stand out the grass, because they wouldn't let him in, and the nuns would bring her to the window, and they would just kind of wave and look at each other. And then he'd get up, 
and go home. He'd walk the two miles to the trolley and then the trolley back home. He did that every day, friends, for nine months. Uh, except on weekends when he would pack up the three kids and he would take them to the hospital so they could stand on the grass and see their mom and she could see them. Friends, that's what I call serving your wife. That's with my body I thee worship. Paul is calling us to a, an even deeper kind of commitment where we're all in. Because, what? Jesus has died for us. Jesus has gone to the cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We don't do that to pay God back. We can never do that. That's how we misunderstand grace, right? We don't, we're uncomfortable with grace. Someone takes you to lunch what, on your birthday, what are you going to do? You're going to take them to lunch on their birthday. That's what we do. Then we're going to pay back. You're not, you don't do this to pay back, God. You never do that anyway. It's, Paul called, in one translation, said, this is your reasonable act of worship. It's just reasonable. It's intellectually sound that if God has done this for you, the least you do is give yourself fully to him. So a beautiful life begins with a life of worship. And then he says this. He says, don't, verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Here he talks about the transformation of our minds. Now, I wish it was so. It would be kind of convenient and easy if it was, that the moment you became a follower of Jesus, that your, that your mind was scrubbed of all the bad stuff and a whole bunch of good stuff was downloaded into it. Wouldn't that be great if that happened in the moment you met Jesus? Doesn't work that way. When we become Christians, we still think like non-Christians. We think like pagans, whatever it was we were before. Uh, and a lot has to change. And he talks about this as an element of worship too. Your body's whole self and your mind being transformed so that you have the mind of Christ. So that you think God's thoughts. You see the world as God sees the world. And, and this means changing, um, changing how we think. There's many, many ways we have to align our thinking with God's thinking. Here's just one example. Notice how a lot of marketers, when they're trying to sell you their product, will say, you deserve that. You ever notice that? I guess the most famous is McDonald's. You deserve a break today, right? Someone will sing that for us. You deserve a break today. I won't sing it. Um, so get up and get away to McDonald's. That's right. You deserve to sit in front of that pile of fat and carbs <laughs> and have that meal, right? But, but who doesn't love a happy meal? Who doesn't love a McDonald's meal? Um, you deserve it. Well, here's the problem with deserve. If you deserve it, would you be thankful for it? No, you deserve it. God's way of thinking is that everything is a gift from him. Therefore, your proper response is gratitude. Not walking through life with an entitlement mindset. Not walking through life thinking, I deserve this. It's I receive this, Father, as a gift from you. Thank you. See, that's just one example. We talk many times about the, the a beginning to think the thoughts of God. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. This is an act of worship. Now, that word transformed, interesting word. Paul only uses it twice in his letters. And the only other time transform works, shows up, is in the Gospels, in this particular story, the story of the transfiguration. And um, this is a story when Jesus brings his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. They go up to a high mountain. 
And then listen how Matthew describes it. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. He was transformed in front of them or sometimes translated transfigured. I just read this book recently, fascinating book by a pastor I really admire who for 30 years has been studying near-death experiences. And he says those who have this near-death experience and they see and meet Jesus, they talk about this light that just emanates and they don't have language to describe it because it's wider and brighter than anything they've ever seen in this world. And here this happens on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Paul says, I want you to be transfigured. I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God's goal for your life is nothing less than utter, complete transformation so that you glow and shine like the sun. This is God's goal for you and for me. So beautiful life begins with worship. Always begins looking Godward, and it proceeds to serving. Now, this is, like I said, one of uh, just four places in our New Testament where Paul will list um, the spiritual gifts. And um, these spiritual gifts are, there's seven of them here, but there are many. Some think there's 30 to 40 that are mentioned in the New Testament. Let me read this for you again. It says here, in his grace, or gifts of grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Those are seven different spiritual gifts. Now what is a spiritual gift? They are special attributes, special abilities given by the Holy Spirit to individual believers for service within the context of the body. God has enabled you and me, everybody who calls on the name of Jesus with certain special abilities, spiritual gifts that will enable us what? To serve others better. Some of you may be into superheroes. I've, I've never been a huge superheroes fan, okay? Uh, kind of like Batman. Uh, you know, Batman has all of his gadgets. Superman can leap, you know, taller than, you know, outrun a bullet and leap taller than a building. And all these superheroes have these super abilities, right? Well, as a Christian, you actually have some super abilities. They don't come from you. God gave them to you, not so that you can say, wow, look at how good I'm about this. No, so that you can serve others. We call these spiritual gifts. Um, and, and here um, we see them, them listed. John Wimber, who was a great leader in the American church, he founded the Vineyard Movement. He said it this way, he says, um, ministry is meeting the needs of others through the resources of God. You know, if you try to meet the needs of others on your own, you're gonna burn out, you're gonna tire out, you're, you're, you're gonna get cynical. But if you are meeting the needs of others with the power and the resources of God, you'll have a new power and ability and joy in doing all of that. Uh, so just consider some of these here. Uh, the first gift that he, I won't go into all the detail, but the first gift that he lists here is prophecy. And that is some people have a special ability given by God to speak a word from God. And other people say, wow, I need to hear that. I, I, I think that was God's word for me. 
I know some of you, I know some of you, that's, that's a gift that you have. Um, others, uh, if your gift is serving, you say, well, are we all supposed to serve? Yeah, we all. But some people find such delight in doing mundane tasks, kind of behind the scenes, that, that that's what fires up that, you know, anterior prefrontal cortex. Not saying that again. Um, because it, it's the way God wired them. We started the church 35 years ago. We met in the theater for seven years, and then we moved up there. One need we had was we, we had to set up a theater and then tear it down. Thankfully, the, the chairs were there. Uh, but everything else had to be set up. We had a group of men called the Set Up Takedown Team. And they would come early in the morning, set up the theater, set up the room, set up the nursery, and then take it all down afterwards and take it away to storage. And they loved it, and they got close to one another. Set Up Takedown Team is one of our favorite teams through the years because, man, they just made it happen. And they found great joy in doing that. There's some of you who find great joy in serving behind the scenes in little ways. And it just makes your heart glad. It fires up your brain. Uh, Another one here is a gift of encouragement. I would dare say that every one of you here is still in the race spiritually. You're still following Jesus. Because somewhere along the line, someone with the gift of encouragement, sometimes translated exhortation, um, encouraged you. Gave you a good word. And it lifted your spirits. Am I right about that? Probably somewhere along the line, someone lifted your spirit, And they have a gift in it. You know, there's some folks, um, they kind of walk around like Eeyore, you know. And, and they're just, they're just kind of sad and they got a dark cloud over them. God love them. All right. Um, but then there's, there's, there are folks who have this ability. It's like it, it's, God gave them this ability to encourage people. And man, I've had that. You get a good word. That can keep you going for a while. And, and some of you have been given that gift because God wants you to encourage other believers. There's many different ways you can use that gift. Now, maybe you're one of those, I don't know if I do. And, and you don't know about yourself. And so, you know, if, if you go and talk to a person who's really down, and after you leave, having talked with them a while, they feel suicidal, you probably don't have the gift of encouragement. You, you got other gifts, but that's probably not your gift. But some of you know, oh my goodness, what a great gift that is. Showing mercy to others, the mercy gift. The mercy gift, people who have the mercy gift are not afraid of suffering people. They're drawn to that. And they see people suffering. I, I think of sometimes this shows up occupationally. Hospice workers are nurses who work in children's hospitals. Oh my. Friends, they have the gift of mercy. Some of you have the gift of mercy, and there are ways that you can serve the kingdom of God and build other people up by using that gift. I could go on, but you get the idea. Each one of you has a special gift. In fact, you probably have several. Some of you have taken spiritual gift inventories to try to understand. Some of you took them 30 years ago and may need to retake it and understand what gift God has given you. But it's always for others. Now notice, this is a divine calling. In other words, it's not optional. In verse 11, he says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. You have a divine calling. God gave you those gifts for a reason, 
And that's to use. And that's why I said, if your gift is leadership, lead diligently. If, if your gift is encouragement, encourage others. God gave you a gift not to sit on it, but to use it. And you've probably heard this uh, statistic before. It's based on something called the Pareto principle. That, that is that, that 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. All right, uh, 80% of the results in your life come from 20% of your effort. That's, that's this Pareto principle. But in the church, that's be devastating. That, that, that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Um, no wonder the church in America is not having the kind of impact on culture that we would hope when so few are doing the work. Friends, if only 20% of your internal organs worked, we'd call you a corpse. <laughs> right? It's just not work that way. The body of Christ, we are a body knit together and God it's a divine calling and so a beautiful life begins with worship it proceeds to serving and it culminates with love now I don't have time to go through the 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 closing words there that Paul he just strings together this beautiful picture of what life looks like in community he says don't pretend to love others really love them hate what is wrong hold tightly to what is good Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring one another. Listen, if we really did this, if the church in America really did this, we would, people would be drawn like moss to the, fire, to the fire. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be proud. Don't overestimate your gifts. Imagine if we did all of that. When we begin to do these things, we honor others because love is, a, is a, uh, a beautiful way to serve others, to serve God, to love him, and to love God. We just mentioned one way. It says here, practice hospitality. Hospitality was very important in that day. It meant opening up your home. There weren't hotels. If Christians were passing through, you would open up your house and you would let other Christians traveling through the area to stay with you. Hospitality is quickly becoming a lost art. But I'll show you one area where it's been beautifully resurrected is in Alpha. You hear talk a lot about Alpha. Alpha is this course where people are introduced to Christ. And I think the key to the whole thing is the meal. It starts with a good meal. Kind of full circle, my message, all right? People's minds light up, brains light up when they have good food in front of them. It's hospitality. And I think really it's the key to bringing people back bringing people into a relationship with Jesus is that meal. We have a wonderful hospitality team that makes the meal, but that's just one way where what Paul says here gets put into practice and it bears fruit. It's a beautiful life. It begins with worship, proceeds to serving others, and it culminates with love, a life of love. So as Paul says, um, never be lazy. But work hard. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. You have a divine calling. And your first divine calling is to become like Jesus, to become like Christ. Offer your bodies. Allow your mind to be transformed, to think God's thoughts. And then your divine calling is to serve like Jesus. And I believe this happens over time. If you get involved in serving one time or one season, that's, that's just a very, very small thing. It's what happens over time. And as we do that consistently, 
Someone once said, I don't, I don't know who uh, uh, originally said this, but and it's this, it's, we, we overestimate what can be done in a year, but we underestimate what can be done in a decade. Say, so, oh, in the next year, I'm going to do this and that. Yeah, you may, probably won't get all that done. But in the next 10 years? You know, if you were to find a way to serve others and just hang in there, and keep serving, you're gonna see God begin to transform you as a result. A few weeks ago, I talked about the amazing transformation of my mother, who went from having a lot of anger and a, a, a temper that was sometimes out of control to a person marked by gentleness and the fruit of the spirit. And, and I watched her serve for decades. She served in her small little church in St. Louis doing oftentimes mundane tasks behind the scenes, but she did it year after year, decade after decade. And God used that to impart his grace. It's not her serving did that, it's that God did that as she made herself available, and he will with you too. So where do you need to say yes to God in that prayer? Say again, I'm no longer my own, but thine. Put me to doing. Where do you need to pray that? Let's pray it now. Father, we thank you that you have shown us the better way. You've shown us the way of serving others. And Jesus, you modeled this. I mean, you washed your disciples' feet. You served them for three years, and then you served them and the world. When you died for us, while we were still your enemies. Your love, your giving of yourself for others has no bounds. And so thank you. So Father, I pray that you would transform us as we give our bodies to you, as we offer our minds for transformation. So with your eyes closed, I'm just gonna give you a minute there to again offer not just your heart to Jesus, but your body. Here I am. Put me to work, God. Put me to work. Go ahead and do that in your own, in your own way, in your own words. Thank you, Father, that your goal for us is nothing short of transfiguration, nothing short of the total transformation of our minds, our lives, our bodies. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you that you are faithful when we are faithless. And thank you for those who have served us because we wouldn't be here today if they had not done so. So we offer ourselves to you again. Here we are, wholly available to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're so glad you tuned in today. If you like this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it with anyone you think could benefit. We're excited about all the content we have coming up and can't wait for you to see it. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out.
If you're curious about LaCroix or if you're looking to take the next step on your journey with Jesus, check out LaCroixChurch.org. We hope to see you again soon.